Welcome to the discussion, Employees Teleworking, Use That to Improve Customer Experience, sponsored by T-Tech. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Andy Martin, Group Vice President for Business Development for Public Sector at T-Tech. John Burstler is Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Colt Whittall is the Chief Experience Officer for the U.S. Air Force. And Kevin Burnett is Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions for the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. Good to have you all with us today. And let's start with John Burstler of the Veterans Affairs Department. When our topic today is customer experience, uh, customers can be internal, they can be external, the people we are serving with information technology in a variety of domains. And so if you would maybe define how you measure customer experience for the different constituencies, maybe talking externally to the veterans themselves and also internally to the vast staff at VA that you have to help keep going through all of this. What is it you measure when it comes to what people are experiencing? Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Tom, and excited to talk to you about customer experience at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, we measure customer experience in a variety, a variety of ways using technology, using focus groups, using human-centered design approaches. Uh, so one of the most, I guess, interactive ways that we measure customer experience from our veterans, families, caregivers, and survivors is through a platform called vSignals, which is a, uh, uh, a product that we developed in partnership with Medallia. And essentially, it's a Likert scale, scale uh, net promoter score rating system. So every time a veteran walks out of an outpatient visit from a VA hospital or outpatient clinic, they'll have an opportunity to rate that experience on a one to five Likert scale, like strongly agree, agree, neutral, disagree, and strongly disagree, of course, and uh, on a variety of questions related to the, how much they felt like they were trusted, they, they trust the VA to deliver those services. What was it easy to navigate the facility? Was their care delivered in an effective way? Did they feel respected um, during the visit? Did they understand what their provider um, said to them and, and, and prescribed to them? So it's a, it's, a, it's a really robust way to understand the whole customer experience in real time. So we have 55 of those different surveys ranging from outpatient care visits to community care visits um, to uh, telehealth services and, and pharmacy visits, et cetera. Uh, we also are about to publicly publish those trust scores that really uh, frame out uh, VA-wide trust around, around ease, effectiveness, and emotion, those kind of three categories I just talked about in V-signals here in the, in the next week or so. So it's going to be exciting that we're going to have a real-time barometer, so to speak, to show our progress and show much more of a transparent look into customer experience at VA. Uh, so in, in, in a in addition to V-signals, we also have C-signals, which is a way to also get feedback around a lot of the community events that we're doing and engagement events. A lot of those are virtual, obviously, during the pandemic, but we're excited to get back into doing in-person events that are really about uh, improving access and outcomes uh, for veterans, particularly around healthcare and enrollment and benefit services. So that'll be a great way to continue to measure customer experience. And then you asked also about the employee experience, which we're um, now deploying the e-signals, um, so for our employees to be a, a more routine touch point on that employee experience instead of just an annual checkup, so to speak, with our annual employee survey, which many, many other, of course, uh, federal agencies utilize. So it's been, I think, um, not only with the, the, the products that we've developed internal to VA that serve our customers and employees, but also the industry-wide data that the Veterans Health Administration uh, industry-wide measurement tools that the Veterans Health Administration uses, such as the, the SHEP data and the, and the HCAPS data um, that really kind of, you know, benchmark uh, the Veterans Health Administration and all of our medical centers and outpatient clinics on customer service as well. So there's kind of two different um, two different skills that we're, that we're utilizing. And finally, I'll just, uh, I'll, uh, you know, end with um, the fact that it's a ma these are major agent customer experience is now tied to agency priority goals um, in our strategic plan, and it's almost embedded in the framework of, of VA is is really I think a testament to where we've come in the last six years or how far we've come in the last six years and then where we're going, which I know is what we're going to talk about later. Thanks for having me. All right, but it sounds like it's fair to say that you use a combination of both tangible numbers, hard numbers for response times and so forth, and also the harder to measure that you needed survey for to get at those 
I don't know, cyclographic or emotional ties that also play into this whole idea of how people feel about the agency and the service they're getting. Absolutely. So it's a mixture of quantitative data on the Likert scale and then also qualitative feedback. So part of the V signals and the E signals is, you know, the, the free text comments uh, that, that veterans and their families can leave after an appointment, which range from concerns to compliments to uh, recommendations for improvements. So it, it really helps uh, the providers know where they stand and, and they can improve that customer experience in real time. Okay, let's move to Colt Whithall, and you are the chief experience officer. I notice customer is not in there because I guess for the most part, you've sort of got a captive audience in the, in the Air Force. So tell us what it is you measure and what, what it is you measure, how you measure it and what you measure in terms of experience for, for the for Air Force. Oh, uh, sure. Well, thank you. Hey, and then let me also just point out that, you know, I, yes, our audience are, are airmen, but, um, you know, they're, they're not captive, right? You know, this is an all volunteer force and recruiting and uh, retention are key to the readiness of the force. Um, and so we got to make them feel good. We can't waste their time with the IT that annoys them and bogs them down. We got to be fast, agile, all those things, right? So we're making a ton of progress, um, uh, I think, in viewing airmen as customers of IT and measuring the experience that they're getting. Um, so in the last in the last couple of years, we've done a few things, um, and this is this is all new. Um, the uh, but we've launched uh, something called Air Force IT Pulse. We launched January twenty eighth of twenty twenty. Um, we use the existing uh, Air Force Research Office or Air Force Survey Office platform. They they already had a contract with Qualtrics, um, and we uh, we built a one required question survey. It's a pulse survey goes out randomly across the Air Force. We used to do it every day. Now we do it once a week. So it goes to a small, tiny fraction of our users and it doesn't come back around and bother them again, you know, for almost a whole year. Um, but we're sampling statistically, you know, significant sample across the entire Air Force um, practically every day. Well, now every week. Um, and uh, we have over 110, 115,000 responses um, in the database so far from the past, whatever it would be, I guess about 15 months of operation. Um, and uh, we get the text analytics. Um, so it's one required question. I think we have seven optional questions, including three free response questions. Um, and the text analytics is fantastic, right? I mean, you could literally watch things like VPN as a topic trend before COVID. It was maybe 10% of comments. And just like on Google Trends, we could watch it trend to over 50%. And then as we dramatically improved our VPN capacity and other ability to telework, dropped back down to about 10%. So you can see those kinds of things live as they're happening in the comments of airmen on the IT services they're receiving. So, so launch that. It's a single question. I mean, what is the question? Um, it is uh, overall, what is your experience uh, with Air Force information technology? And is it a multiple choice, good, terrible, in between, or can they explain things? Or uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. Uh, I guess you would say it's like a Likert scale, but it's from unsatisfactory to satisfactory, basically. Got it. And, so that gives um, you at least a clue as to where to delve in, for example. Well, it does, and it's tied to Air Force Directory Services, so we get all of the demographic data with it. So we know what base, we know career field rank, all those kinds of things. And we, we can parse that in the database. We also have a question, an optional question. By the way, almost everybody answers the optional questions. Um, but the optional, we have an optional question on how much they're teleworking. So are they primarily on base or primarily teleworking or a mix of both? And then we can break that out. And so we understand the differences between the on-base and off-base experience. So that's one, that's the survey piece. Um, but the, uh, we are getting ready to go live. We're already doing this for a few thousand people as part of a managed service program, um, IT services program called ITAS. We are getting ready to go live Air Force wide with digital experience monitoring. So we're going to know at the glass exactly what experience people are receiving in terms of availability, response time, responsiveness of all of our key applications. And then um, we are uh, in a more limited way for a set of bases right now. Now we're getting data uh, from the trouble ticket system and being able to merge all of these things together. So we can talk more about that later, but we're, 
we're getting for, for a limited number of bases, we're now getting the complete kind of 365 picture of the service, the actual experience at the glass that people have, and then what they think about it. And then we're adding in the other things and expanding it. And just to clarify, that average experience at the glass is machine-generated data. You don't have to ask people for response times and so forth. That's known from the parameters deep in the, uh, in the infrastructure. Yes, it's, it's known as uh, alternately as digital user, digital experience monitoring or as real user monitoring, but it's a, it's a product that puts an agent on a subset, a small sample of our endpoints, and it gathers data about the responsiveness and the availability of all of our key applications that are on the client or via access via you know, the internet, via browser or over our private network. Okay, good. Thank you. And uh, Kevin Burnett for the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. Do you try to make the sailors happy also? Oh, uh, we, we, we try. Uh, you know, Colt's a little further along with the Air Force than we are. I would say from a, you know, a measuring perspective, we're doing it uh, poorly at the moment. But I view the, the optimistic side of that as it's, it's ripe for the opportunity to improve. Um, you know, our, our responsibility is delivering the manpower, logistics, business capabilities to the sailors and the civilian workforce within the entire Department of Navy. That's Navy and Marine Corps. And so, you know, we, we have a large user base that has particular expectations, especially when it comes to, to, to business capabilities. They're, they're used to interacting with, you know, their banking systems and their other IT systems from an industry standpoint. And then they they try to navigate comparable capabilities within the service that they, they, they support. And it's, it's not the, this, the same experience. And so, you know, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we, we, we have a problem. And uh, I think we're doing that. And, you know, going back to John's point, one of the first things we're doing is establishing this as a goal with appropriate objectives within our strategic plan at the PEO level. That, that's something we've, we've never done before is, we, we have to strive to actually measure and baseline customer experience across all the IT capabilities we deploy. And then we have to strive to improve those numbers. Um, what I find interesting is, you know, at least from a, a Department of Navy standpoint, is we get really caught up on the, the survey side of it, kind of the after the fact user experience of the IT solutions. Uh, customer experience, you know, is right for opportunity throughout the entire software development lifecycle. And, and that's kind of how we're looking at it organizationally. We've actually established what we call innovation support services within our PEO. It's a whole portfolio dedicated to workforce agility and digital agility. Uh, workforce agility is improving kind of the lowest common denominator of best practices for modern ways of working in the areas of design thinking, lean startup, things of that nature. And then digital agility is, you know, empowering the adoption of digital tools that enable the execution of those workforce skills. And so, you know, it's hard for, for us as, as developers, the IT solutions to, uh, to measure customer experience if we don't really even understand it. And so it starts at, you know, how do you collect requirements from your customers? How are you interviewing them? How are you doing journey mapping with them to, to really understand their pain points and have that empathy for the situation that they're in? And that helps us translate those requirements into an IT solution that during that software development life cycle, we've got to collect iterative feedback from actual end users on the development of the software, which ultimately culminates in a production release of that capability that we also will continue to survey. And so there, there is this combination of, of you know, qualitative, quantitative, um, even some sub subjective type data that we need to measure and the key takeaway for us is that it's, it's throughout the entire software development lifecycle, not just as a result of a capability that's already been released to, to production. All right, good. Understand uh, where you're headed with that a clear explanation. And let's move to Andy Martin from T-Tech. Is this kind of indicative of what you see across government, everyone trying a slightly different angle to get at the same thing to keep users not just happy, but productive? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I just want to say it's an honor to be here today, uh, Tom, with you and also with a distinguished panel and some really great answers there in terms of uh, defining what can be a very difficult thing to define in terms of customer experience. And so um, I would add, not just from a public sector standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, this space of customer experience is continually evolving. And, you know, the folks here on the panel are at the, at, at the uh, you know, front end of that. 
Um, and I think there's some commercial best practices that we can bring to, uh, to government. But I have the opportunity to talk to both at the public sector, uh, federal level, as well as state and local um, uh, to a lot of folks around this topic of customer experience. And the first thing that we use to kind of define that is aligning to, um, you know, what the, we, in the commercial spaces, business outcomes, and then, you know, public sector, federal, and specifically with a lot of the DOD groups that we have here, mission. So how is your customer experience aligned to, um, you know, that the, the customer experience that you're trying to deliver, how is that aligned to your, your mission? And that's the start of where we really start looking at. And we work with our clients to understand um, what are those things that we should measure that demonstrate success and outcome of, you know, of the mission. Um, I think in, in, in the past, we've measured that with things like average handle time, right? We tend to get very, we want to get very quantitative immediately. And it really is, as a lot of the panelists pointed out, a combination of that quantitative and qualitative information um, that we measure, but that's very careful. And I think you start with, and I heard this mentioned as well, uh, the, the customer journey, right? So understanding whether it's an airman, a Marine, uh, a soldier, or a veteran who's trying to get uh, medical care, it starts with understanding that journey. And so to the extent that you can match that, along that journey, there will be metrics that you need to measure to determine if you're achieving uh, the level of customer experience, because it's going to be different for each one of those, um, you know, scenarios. Um, so I would say the first thing is, you know, aligning to business outcome. Um, I also heard trust. I think that was from John. Um, that's a fantastic point, right? Because I think, especially in the government, um, that's a major concern. We're seeing that at the state and local level, as well as federal, um, that the, the customer experience is largely driven by trust. You have to trust the organization that you're reaching out to, um, to understand that. So that measurement of trust contributes to, you know, what we would say this holistic, you know, customer experience um, view is. So um, those are a few of my thoughts. Um, all right. Topic of CX. Thanks so much. And on that note, we'll take a short break. My guests today are Andy Martin, the Group Vice President of Business Development for Public Sector at T-Tech. John Burstler is the Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. We've got Colt Whittall. He's Chief Experience Officer for the Air Force. And Kevin Burnett is Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions for the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is employees teleworking. Use that to improve customer experience. And we're gonna to get to that in some detail in the next segment, sponsored by T-Tech here on Federal News Network. Digital transformation is accelerating the need to create efficiencies and improve citizen experience. Transformation requires a skilled transformer, a partner who can deliver your vision. T-Tech blends decades of human and digital expertise to deliver outcome-focused CX and EX solutions. T-Tech is the vital partner your agency needs, now and in the future, to build citizen trust and meet rising expectations. Learn more at ttechgov.com. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Employees Teleworking, Use That to Improve Customer Experience, sponsored by T-Tech here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Kevin Burnett. He's Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions for the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. Colt Whittall is Chief Experience Officer for the U.S. Air Force. We've got John Burstler, Chief Veterans Experience Officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and Andy Martin, Group Vice President of Business Development for Public Sector at T-Tech. And let's get right into that COVID and pandemic. Of course, we all know what happened to federal employees and, and for that matter, pretty much everyone forced into homes, forced into this mass telework situation. And that's had a big effect on both the ability to deliver excellent experience or customer experience, as well as for those that receive it, they're also at home. So it's really complicated the picture a lot. Uh, Kevin, let's start with you. How has that affected your ability to give that good customer experience for people to receive it? And, you know, what have you done to adjust here? Well, I think it, it, was a, it was certainly a forcing function that drove the adoption of digital tools to be used how they were intended. Um, 
from a Department of Navy standpoint, we were definitely kind of uh, nibbling around the margins at adopting some of these digital tools uh, for collaboration purposes, things like that nature. And then COVID kind of thrust us into the situation by which we had to use these tools to, to, to effectively continue to deliver capabilities in, in our mission space. And so um, I, I think it, it actually became a great thing to drive the intended use of the digital tools in our context is a lot of it has to do with uh, applying agile principles to the software development lifecycle, uh, uh, using disciplines like Scrum and Kanban and, and XP and, and, and managing you know, the, the, the backlog and some of the components of the agile process through the tools that we, we had historically just kind of taken for granted. Um, and what, it, what it's also done is it's given us a lot of data over the course of the last year and a half to better inform digital tool rollout strategy uh, across the spectrum of capability delivery, not just for um, doing things like collaboration within the workforce, but also you know, how do we measure things like customer experience? How do we perform automation in the software development lifecycle? Uh, how do we perform automation in terms of data collection and, and analysis as part of our uh, support desk? Um, so, so I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's a terrible situation to, to be in COVID, but uh, again, it has kind of driven us to be a lot more modern with our business practices um, for, for, for how we deliver IT. And John, at the VA, of course, you have uh, much more telework, and that's a well-documented story, how much that jumped for VA, but, and many of the medical staff remained in the VA facilities to deliver care, either telephonically, you know, by, by remote or there were still people coming in because people had COVID and needed hospitalization and so on. But a lot of the support staff might have been teleworking and just the basic function of call center, uh, for example. How did, you, how did you pivot and what happened in there with respect to delivery of service? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the, the question. So, you know, VA has many different call centers, you know, with a, a we have about 150 different medical centers nationwide, and um, each of those has their own call center uh, to answer questions and provide customer feedback and connect to appointments. Um, so uh, in, in kind of integrating a tier one capability contact center was one thing that VA really moved quickly to do over the past uh, several years. And really in the last year, uh, obviously, it became very apparent that it was incredibly useful to modernize the way that we connected our, our, our phone systems, our mini disparate phone systems and, and contact systems. So uh, the Veterans Experience Office has the um, honor to, uh, to lead two of those tier one contact centers, uh, the, White House, the White House Call Center and um, the uh, MyVA411 Call Center. So, and that gives us that ability to then send those veteran customers or those family customers out to their local VA medical center or to the benefits administration or um, any other you know, segment of, of the VA that they need to get connected with so that there's no drop in service and they get that, that, that overall fantastic experience. But as you mentioned, Tom, half of our workforce never went home um, and, and, and didn't get the opportunity to telework uh, because they were you know, frontline healthcare workers, just like many, many others that have uh, really, really become the heroes of this pandemic. And it's incredible, uh, you know, what they've been able to do, not only at the clinic and at the hospital level to serve patients in person, but convert a lot of the many, many thousands, if not millions of appointments to telehealth. Um, so it's been an incredible shift for VA and, and really great for the veteran customers too. And we're, we're consistently monitoring that customer feedback based on the V-Signal surveys that we receive on telehealth to improve that overall experience. But uh, the other half of the workforce, of course, we converted into uh, telework and many of our contact centers were, were immediately converted into the ability to not show up at the, the physical call center, but actually take calls at home. Uh, and I, I was actually talking to uh, a United Airlines uh, call, contact center the other day and was able to uh, just like she said, well, I'm sorry, I'm working from home. I'm like, that's great. You know, that, that we have that capabilities uh, both in the private sector and in the public sector. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, Andy, is that something that's widespread that a call center without the center? It actually is. So um, I'll give you a little bit uh, quick high level, you know, from a T-Tech perspective, um, we've been doing remote work and supporting our clients um, across, you know, public sector and commercial for 12, over 12 years. Uh, and that's, that has continued to evolve. Um, but in the public sector, 
there wasn't there wasn't a high uptake. Um, we obviously saw in a period of a couple of weeks, literally a couple of weeks, uh, a massive shift to at home. T-Tech globally moved 40,000 plus uh, agents uh, to an at home work environment or a remote work environment. Um, and we learned an incredible amount from that. And so a couple things that uh, that I would share from from our experience and I think are, um, are relevant here is, you know, don't forget that your customers have also shifted to at home. And so they're not, um, you know, from their engagement perspective, think about how they want to engage with with you as an entity, right? And so um, in their channel of choice, whether that's text messaging, SMS, uh, WhatsApp, you know, um, those are all things that we're seeing across the board now that scaled. And the reason that was important, particularly the text messaging piece was pandemic brought something more than just the requirements and mandate to move at home. It brought massive call volumes to a scale that you know, um, public sector hadn't seen before. So think about small business administration trying to distribute funds to small businesses that needed it uh, or state and local governments. So that massive call volume required the use of technology to deflect call volume to these channels, which frankly, a lot of the clients preferred to use anyway. And so by opting in, you were able to create a better citizen experience, a better constituent experience by enabling those new channels of choice for, for that. So that was one thing. Um, the other thing, and, and I heard you know, some of the panelists talking about this earlier, but don't forget to focus internally on enabling that remote workforce. Do they have the help desk that they need to support them in a remote environment, um, right? Um, and thinking about it from you know, hiring, the right people to answer phones and at home, it's, it's not exactly the same profile. So think about talent acquisition and how you hire the right people to engage there. So hire, train and equip. On the training piece um, now, we've also started to utilize um, AI in our training to enable 24 by seven training available to your um, you know, remote workforce. Um, that's really, really important, especially in a dynamic environment like, you know, response to a pandemic, right? Where the feedback, the talk tracks that you need um, to enable, right? To digitally enable that human contact um, with your, you know, with your um, citizens or constituents is really, really critical. And so using AI to train that is another piece. And then equipping, um, that gets back to saying, look, we, we ran into some challenges with how do you make sure that there's access for your agents, that you enable them with the right tools um, at home. Managing an agent in a remote environment is completely different. And so you need chat tools. You need other ways to engage with that employee. So those are just a few of the things that I think are, are, are important to note when we start thinking about this, this remote work, right? And I think it's also an environment that we all realize um, we just did, we just had a client advisory board um, with a number of our global clients, and the estimate is that uh, at least 50% of the workforce that moved at home will be staying in that at home environment, right? Um, and we've actually seen one great performance, uh, similar performance, and number two, lower attrition rates, which again, if you think about it, translates to a better citizen experience because you have tend to have more tenured folks those more tenured folks tend to be able to deliver a better experience to uh, the constituents interesting colt what was your experience so far because i imagine a lot of the civilian employees did telework and probably still are yes that's absolutely true and some of the uniform folks as well and it part-time right we have a lot of people that kind of move part-time between home and, and on base um, the, the only thing that I would add, our experience has been similar, um, is uh, I would say, and this is going to sound completely crazy, but as we were leading up into the COVID situation, our user experience numbers started dropping. As we responded very quickly by dramatically increasing VPN capacity, by launching um, a, a Teams instance across all of DoD, that frankly connected and enabled collaboration across DOD in a way that was just completely unprecedented. Um, as we did those things, the user experience numbers that we we're getting actually uh, doubled, doubled. And to this day, they remain higher for our teleworking staff than our staff that's primarily on base. So, you know, it, now my concern is that we have to get the on base numbers up to match the teleworking numbers. And that's kind of our challenge going forward. Interesting. And just a follow-up to all of this, 
when people are in federal facilities, those that might have disabilities or some issue that they need special accommodation to be able to access all of the facilities, is that also rep replicable when they are in a teleworking situation? Again, both, both people that might be delivering the service from their homes or some other place and those receiving it. Anybody can jump in here, John. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access is a DEI a, is, is a big focus of VA. And obviously, with the many facilities uh, that we have across the country, physically, they're uh, incredibly accessible uh, because of the, the, the nature of the population we work with. But for our employees as well, we want to make sure that they have the most up-to-date technology, um, whether that's uh, headphones and headsets or um, but bigger, bigger and better screens to uh, better access the um, the systems. You know that's that's really what we're doing. And in terms of how we measure that experience and those touch points to the the e signals, the employee signals, as I mentioned earlier, to improve the overall employee experience, we're getting that feedback in real time now. Yeah, interesting. Other comments on that idea of access and equity in the ability to receive and deliver services, Kevin. Yeah, it's, um, so, so it's it's interesting. That's another example by which we, we kind of just had a, a, a typical behavior by which we, we, we measured things like that and performed automated testing against accessibility, things of that nature. You know, COVID's driven us to more of a forcing function to consider those things up more upfront in the software development lifecycle process. Um, even when we're evaluating COTS capabilities to procure um, the requirement side of this needs to have that accommodation included um, and as part of you know the, the process by which we evaluate which capabilities can can ultimately be delivered to the end users and you know covid and the onset of remote work has driven us to take a much closer look at the requirement side of this as opposed to just the after the fact customer experience side of it yeah and andy i imagine in some ways on that theme of being able to do better in the telework situation, those that require accommodation might have a better situation at home to begin with, because presumably they have adapted their home situation to whatever, whatever their issues they might be having. And then it's just a matter of adding the technology on top of an already somewhat better situation. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. And I think, you know, T-Tech has a, a goal of actually hiring a certain percentage of veterans um, in, a, in a contact center environment, um, you know, and supporting um, agencies uh, in the public sector. And it's been a great experience. And so they do have, they do tend to have better access at home. Um, and that remote workforce is actually enabled, I think, an opportunity for, um, you know, for folks. The other thing that I would say is, again, technology is our friend here. It's not technology for technology's sake. But when you start looking at what's happening in the AI community, voice recognition and voice to text, um, it's enabling a whole new workforce that can now, um, you know, perform the important job of citizen engagement, um, you know, because of those technologies. So there are enabling technologies out there that I think can really be utilized to to, to improve access. Paul, to comment. One quick comment, just to add on to this, um, with accessibility in particular. Um, leverage design systems. Um, we're doing it more and more. So when you're talking about designing web software, um, the US web design system, uh, which was created in response to or out of the uh, 21st Century Idea Act managed by GSA, um, great resource, government owns it, any federal agency can pick it up and use it. It's probably more applicable to a citizen facing uh, system, uh, maybe an employee in the Air Force, we have uh, a version of Google's Material UI that we have created that adds on to Material UI. Beauty of it is, whether it's US web design system or our material or our, we call it Kessel Run user interface or KRUI, they both build in accessibility. Um, so as you are implementing your software, it's automatically adhering to most of the accessibility requirements that um, otherwise people lose sight of. Yeah, we should point out too, GSA offers some very basic services like Relay for uh, telephony so that people can sign or they can get texts or text to voice, these kinds of services, which are pretty much available to anyone that has the right equipment. So that, that might be a, a channel also to, uh, you know, for the hearing or speech impaired, again, going in both directions. All right, good. Well, let's, uh, on that note, we'll go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to be 
going to be discussing some of the futures here where we take all of these learnings and all of these technology installations that we now have, thanks to teleworking. I don't think anyone wants to sink all that investment without getting some more out of it in the years ahead. So we'll discuss some of the futures here. My guests today are Andy Martin, the Group Vice President of Business Development for Public Sector at TTEC. We also have John Burstler, Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Colt Whittall is the Chief Experience Officer at the U.S. Air Force. And Kevin Burnett, Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions for the Naval Information Warfare Systems. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is Employees Teleworking. Use that to improve customer experience, sponsored by TTEC here on Federal News Network. Digital transformation is accelerating the need to create efficiencies and improve citizen experience. Transformation requires a skilled transformer, a partner who can deliver your vision. T-Tech blends decades of human and digital expertise to deliver outcome-focused CX and EX solutions. T-Tech is the vital partner your agency needs, now and in the future, to build citizen trust and meet rising expectations. Learn more at ttechgov.com. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Employees Teleworking, Use That to Improve Customer Experience, sponsored by TTEC here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Colt Whittall, Chief Experience Officer at the U.S. Air Force, Kevin Burnett, Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions for the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. We've got Andy Martin, Group Vice President of Business Development for Public Sector at TTEC, and John Burstler. Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm your host, Tom Temin. And let's talk about what's ahead here, because I think no one is quite sure to the extent that to which government will return to the office. I think both corporate America and governmental America are kind of debating how many people will come back. And so we don't know at this point. What I'd like to get from our government folks, and Kevin, we'll start with you, what are the signals you're hearing? What are you expecting in your agency, roughly, even though you may not set that policy, but you're getting the signals? And how will you deal with this as this becomes maybe a new norm for half the people, let's say, in, half out? Kevin? Sure, yeah. I mean, certainly there, there is kind of the aperture opening up a little bit more for some folks to go back into, into the office. Um, however, you know, just from a, a data point perspective, our PEO just ran a, a leadership team offsite with... 30 some odd people, only half of which were actually in the physical location, the other half virtual. And, and, and with the, the advancement in some of these digital collaboration tools, you know, it went off without a hitch. We had uh, active participation from other members um, who were virtual, uh, even with the folks who were physically in the location. And I'd add that their participation was even higher in some cases as a result of them being able to use the digital tool to, to, to vote, to, to move cards around in a virtual environment, uh, using some design thinking practices, stakeholder mapping, concept mapping, Rosebud Thorn. You know, we went through a lot of different exercises and some of those folks who traditionally wouldn't be as vocal in person in the room uh, were actually significantly more vocal digitally. Um, so so there, there was actually a, an unintended benefit as a result of their virtual participation. Um, and so I think that type of model by which we have some folks physically in location and some folks virtual, um, we already have a forcing function for that because our PEO is actually dispersed geographically across the entire uh, continental US. Um, so I, I think that trend is, is definitely going to continue with it within our PEO. We've seen a lot of success with it already. So, Colt, the implication there then is that all of this investment that has been made, everything from VPN capacity and, and uh, remote desktop and virtual desktops and so forth, all the way to the conferencing, teleconference, call center technologies that agencies have had to invest in, not going to let that go away, but maybe even strengthen it for the future. We are. And some of the things that we did that were, you know, intentionally kind of on a, you know, terror temporary, you know, expedite, expedite basis, um, like our teams instance across DOD CBR, um, you know, now we're taking some of the best ideas in CBR and through our zero trust strategy, working those back into our kind of regular um, IT infrastructure. Um, and uh, so it's, it, there have been tremendous lessons learned. I mean, the fact is people like 
certain aspects of the IT we're using now. Like I said earlier, um, you know, our survey data shows that they like a lot of it much, much better than they like our IT experience on base. So, um, you know, now it's a matter of baking all this back in. All right. And John, let me ask you too, because you've got practitioners that are in this forever hybrid mode. Some patients, they're going to go to a screen. Some patients, they're going to go into an examining room. And that's got to be some cognitive difficulty over time. And so what, what are your investment plans, but also what are your plans for sustaining this experience idea? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the first things we have to do is make sure that we're updating all of our COVID-19 workplace safety plans, making sure we have all of the, the PPE, you know, the personal protective equipment available for those in a clinical and in-person environment. Um, but also it gives us an opportunity to really evaluate what are the, you know, what are the future of work planning opportunities that we have, uh, particularly around space, uh, particularly around access to technology, if you are working from home a couple of days a week or, or permanently, and then also, you know, continue to monitor those e-signals, those employee signals to really get that real-time employee feedback on what their preferences are and what their comfortability uh, is around that safety and return to work policy. And what about some of the veterans that may not be as technically astute as, you know, the average ones, say, that are younger coming from Iraq and Afghanistan, but you've still got a good population of some of the older men and women going back to the Vietnam era, probably still a few Korean era people accessing VA facilities. And I think the IG just found that VA was amazingly prepared for this, even more prepared than some of the constituents were that weren't maybe in a high bandwidth area or didn't have the right smartphones and so forth. So what do you see going forward there? Yeah, absolutely. Access is an incredibly important priority for Secretary McDonough and the leadership of VA. And we're current, always constantly trying to force ourselves to rethink and reimagine ways that veterans can receive care via telehealth, considering the challenges that many rural veterans or veterans that don't have access to broadband, uh, which is uh, which is obviously something that we're working around and concerned with. So. Uh, utilizing our, our vast network of outpatient clinics, setting up in, um, you know, kind of pop-up clinics throughout the community, coordinating with our community partners uh, in those areas to deliver better care, uh, such as uh, mobile vaccine units, mobile mental health units, mobile pharmacy units, getting out there uh, and really going, bringing the services to the veteran and their family is really a priority. And so I think that will only, not only continue, but, but also broaden. Sure. And Andy, there are a lot of implications to this when you have people outside and inside your firewall. There's cybersecurity, there's privacy implications. And what are some of the technology solutions or pathways anyway, to making sure that you have the same degree of security going forward, because that's going to have to be built in and I think shored up as this becomes kind of the permanent model. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple different answers for that uh, in terms of, of technology, but one of those is data entry um, and trying to use technology again to um, listen to the conversation and translate into text and fill out some of the forms where there's more sensitive. So the ability to mask, um, you know, uh, PII type of information. It, you know, becomes very, very critical. Um, and then monitoring and constantly checking in, uh, monitoring in the sense of, you know, reaching out <clears throat> and ensuring, uh, you know, compliance with uh, things that protect, uh, you know, from a security uh, perspective, both physical, you know, and obviously logical in terms of, you know, encrypting uh, conversations, making sure data is secure, both at rest and in, and in motion. So those are all things that are technology. We're doing those things today. I did want to comment, though, on, you know, kind of what we're seeing and what we're hearing. And I mentioned in the earlier segment that we had a client advisory board, the T-Tech assembled across public sector and commercial. And what we're seeing is about, you know, I think roughly the, the survey that went out was around 50% of the folks expect to still have a contingent. I think that's largely driven on the commercial side. Um, I think public sector is still up in the air on who's going to return 
um, you know, back to the, to the workplace. And there's a lot of considerations for that, right? And some of them are really good. Some of them are things that we need to really, you know, consider. Um, capacity within contact centers is going to be, you know, likely cut in half if you're following social distancing, uh, you know, rules. And so you've got capacity challenges that you're going to have to figure out how to, how to overcome. Uh, and again, opportunity to use technology to say, hey, we can do more with less leveraging uh, that technology. So that's all part of the conversation that's happening now. Um, the other thing that I would say is we've seen some really positive um, impacts of remote work. And one of the areas specific to you know, federal and public sector is there is often a requirement for surge work when capacity is overcome, whether it's pandemic or think about a, an organization like FEMA, um, you know, that responds to quickly to, you know, hurricanes. The ability to hire folks outside of a particular geographic area um, enables us uh, from an industry perspective and a supports perspective, you know, to hire uh, great talent um, working remotely in geographically diverse, you know, areas, which is built in, um, you know, disaster recovery, but also the ability to scale quickly um, in a in a particular to support a particular region um, when there's these, you know, emergency type of um, activities and support. So they're very interesting ties related to this now adoption, uh, a greater adoption of working from uh, home, working remotely. Yeah, that's a good point. The idea of hiring, in some ways, the hiring process is the first experience that someone coming into the federal government may even experience at all. That's right. Uh, and so I wanted to throw that one to uh, John because VA has big hiring requirements. It had them in the beginning of the pandemic. It's been able to meet them in some ways, but maybe talk about the idea of that experience and how this can be enhanced in the, in the, in the way we operate nowadays. Absolutely. So, you know, just like we designed several different veteran journey maps, so customer facing journey maps uh, around, you know, with the, using the human centered design approach, we also designed an employee journey map. You're really taking them from, you know, being recruited to, to serve in VA all the way through the retirement. And it's uh, kind of identifying the bright spots and the pain points on in that onboarding journey. And so we're actually testing a lot of those lessons learned and applying some solutions to the pain points and the, and the bright, sp bright spots as well, um, starting with our central office employees in Washington, D.C., and then we're going to then apply it to, to enterprise-wide. So it's been very interesting to see how the human-centered design process and how employee journey maps can be just as impactful as your customer journey maps. Colt, what have you found? And uh, this, the corollary question is, you know, what about, have you even begun to think about the space requirements, the physical space requirements, if not so many people are ever going to be in the same place at the same time? Well, I will tell you, I'm, you know, the, the Pentagon has always been uh, kind of, uh, you know, over, over, overbooked. There's too much demand. Um, and uh, so this probably is an advantage in that situation. Um, I guess I would say uh, I'm, I'm not directly involved in the conversations about what we do about space in the building. And the funny thing is, I live in Atlanta um, and uh, kind of commute. I'm officially based at uh, Gunner in uh, part of Maxwell at Montgomery. I was hired, planned to live in Atlanta and work about a week, month or something like that up in DC at the Pentagon where our office is. You know, in our office suite, we have a few of them. Um, there's not a single, as far as I know, um, telework kind of, you know, you know, desk where you can just come in and, you know, sit for a day. And so usually what happens when I get there is I get assigned a spot for somebody who's out of the office that day. Now that, of course, pre-COVID. So we're going to have to reconfigure space and we know it and talks are going on about what do we do about that. Um, and, uh, but I think it's going to be fantastic. I mean, you know, think about the implications of this, right? You know, we have a tremendous need for uh, broader skill sets in IT and user experience and you know software development and AI, we can now reach out to people outside the Beltway, far beyond the DC suburbs, to wherever we need to go, and we can pull those people in. And we can hire those people. We can also be vastly more resilient as an organization. I mean, it's you know it's the Department of Defense. We shouldn't need to close down because of snow. Um, you know, so it, this is going to make government more resilient, more responsive, and a better experience, and it's going to give us access to more skills 
and a broader section of the American population in terms of who we can pull in and hire and engage. So, you know, I think, I think overall, this is fantastic. Um, sorry to say it took a pandemic to get there. Sure. Well, uh, Kevin, it sounds like it almost redefines the meaning of what's a base, what's a port, what is a facility for federal entities. Yeah, I mean, for, from our workforce perspective, you know, we actually just had a conversation this morning about this is, you know, we're, we're reorganizing our physical location to, to where most of the space is just hoteling based. And so the conversation is no longer about, well, who's assigned to this space or that space. The conversation is, you know, which, what digital capability should we use for people to use as a reservation system so that they can go in and just reserve that space. And, and you know, that's, that kind of shows how far, you know, the, the pandemic has, has taken us in terms of our thought processes. It's now a shared space. A lot of folks are going to be physically someplace else. If you do need to be in the office, you're going to reserve a space today that might not be the same one as you reserved the week before. Who knows? There might be room in the Pentagon North lot for food trucks, you know, with all those cars not there anymore. And in the minute we have left, Andy, we'll give you the last word here on advice for going forward. Yeah, I think uh, the the advice and, and a word is, you know, be prepared for, for change, adapt and be prepared. Um, this is an evolving situation. Uh, I think the pandemic, as each one of the pan panel members has talked about, and I've, I've shared too, has moved us forward, you know, five to 10 years in terms of adoption of, of utilizing and leveraging remote workforce. There is, you know, good and, and there's challenges associated with that. I think the good far outweighs the challenges. And we're seeing that adaptability occur. You know, Kevin talked about it with, you know, uh, remote workspace and adapting, you know, they're already, they're already moving. And so I would just encourage everybody to have an open mind. And I think, you know, we've, we've never been through a pandemic of this magnitude and scale. Uh, it's creating change and that change is, uh, is, is good. Um, and I'm excited to see and really energized by what this panel has shared today um, in terms of the, the, the forethought and, and thinking around, you know, customer experience, which is also evolving, um, you know, as we speak. So it's been an honor to be a part of this and really appreciate uh, the time this morning. All right. On that note, I want to thank today's guests. Andy Martin is the Group Vice President of Business Development for Public Sector at T-Tech. John Burstler is the Chief Veterans Experience Officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Colt Whittall is Chief Experience Officer for the U.S. Air Force. And Kevin Burnett, Technical Director for PEO Manpower, Logistics and Business Solutions at the Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search T-Tech. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Employees Teleworking? Use that to improve customer experience. Sponsored by T-Tech on Federal News Network.